Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for subscribing. This is an awesome show today. Chris Brogan explores how people use content and community to build marketplaces around areas of belonging. He's the CEO of Owner Media Group, a sought-after public speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of eight books. He's working on his ninth called Belong, a framework for embracing community, driving the economy, and building the future. Learn more about Chris at chrisbrogan.com and on Twitter, or as Chris would say, in the tweeters, uh, he is at chrisbrogan. Big surprise. Without further ado, my chat with Chris Brogan. Hello. Hello, Chris Brogan, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I feel so showerific. Thank you. <laughs> showerific. All right. We're starting it off right. Uh, okay. So the name of the show is Vroom Vroom Veer, and we're in it right now. So Vroom Vroom represents like life on uh, autopilot, uh, sleepwalking. And then a veer is something in life that happens to you that makes you wake up. So hopefully I can get one of those stories out of you. And if not, that's okay. We'll move on. <laughs> D- d- which now just in general do you want me to talk about veering or vrooming or i a little bit of both i like the space in between so you can talk a little bit about a story that's particularly about a veer in your life and then sort of generalize around the vroom vroom stuff but really uh hit on the veer that's generally how i do it does that make sense Sure. Okay. You may have you may have to keep steering me out of the no bushes. No problem. No problem. I have, it's a new I have concept a, for me too. So I have every belief that I'm just going to keep veering into bushes during this whole conversation. <laughs> well, that it's would like be when, great. You know, that would be great. I would love. It's that. like when you take like an eight year old to the go karts for the first time, and they're so wound up and so excited that they're driving a vehicle with an engine that they just keep smashing it into the wall and things. That would be me. You know, I would say. I would say, you know, what's really funny is that, you know, there's that quote like that John Lennon says in Nobody Told Me where he says life's what happens when you're busy making plans. I really feel like a whole lot of my life is like that. I mean, when you talk about veering, I I think a whole chunk of my life is veering because I think every single time I think I've got a plan and I think I'm going to go in some kind of direction, you know, it's just going to. It, you know, it, it's the like universe says to me, that's not going right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, I've universe had that says, I bet you think too. you're smart and that's the end of the game. You know, I just, I think, you know, being a Buddhist, um, I think that, you know, life is this whole repeating lesson of basically you are right here. You are right <laughs> now. Yes. I'm not in a hole. I'm, you know, I'm right here. Here may be a hole, but you know, that's where I am. <laughs> you know? Talk a little bit about uh, how you got to be a Buddhist. That would be great with me because I'm a big fan of uh, Pema Chodron 
And I, oh yeah, I, yeah. I read her book, um, "Getting Unstuck." I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not. I am uh, indeed. Oh, great! I love her. I love that book. So, when did you become a Buddhist? Shortly after hanging out with Pema Chodron, <laughs> um, quite literally. Uh, so here's, right, the, right. here's how the story goes. So my, uh, I was in another relationship. I was married. Uh, my whole life was coming apart at the seams, and I uh, went from that right into a girlfriend. When like that probably wasn't the next best idea. Um, but you know, life again doesn't wait around in my case. So I suddenly my girlfriend and I are like, well. Let's go see uh, Pema Chodron because I had showed her some books. My friend Julian Smith said to to me, hey, Seth Godin says I should read Pema Chodron. And he goes, somehow I thought you should check it out. And I was like, okay. So we read a bunch of books, my girlfriend and I, and she said, hey, Pema is going to come to Halifax, Nova Scotia. You should go. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I said, yes, in that way, that means <laughs> not really. Um, right. But she, she took his yes. Yeah, so she's like, great, I bought the tickets. And I was and like, like mm. oh, okay, <laughs> so I'll buy the airplane and whatever. And so, you know, we, we go up to see uh, this whole week of Shambhala Buddhist, which is Pema Chodron and also the Sakyang Mipam, who is the, the spiritual head of the Shambhala Buddhist, wow. uh, kind of like Pem, Pema's boss, even sure. though, you know, technically. There are no bosses, right. Right, right. Okay. So we go there and the experience is um, we're standing in the very far back of this huge building in Halifax, Nova Scotia that's like, you know, like a convention center kind of a thing. And Jack and I say, let's that's her name, Jacqueline. Let's just hide in the back of the room in case we have to leave because this could really suck. And, you know, we need, <laughs> we need to be able plan. to go get lunch or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. She's like, yeah, okay. So as we're sitting there, like there's this procession and there's all this stuff and there's tons of people and whatever. And Jack just looks behind her just a tiny bit and goes, oh my gosh, there's, there's Pema Chodron like right there. And she's, I don't know, 15 feet away. And Jack says, I'm going to go say hi. I'm like, you can't go say hi. Like she's the head of this thing. Like, you know, (laughs) there's an event here. It's not like meet and greet or something. She goes, I don't care. I'm I'm just going to go say hi. She walks over. The next thing I know, they're hugging. There's tears. Like they're just happy with each other and all this. And I'm like, wow, you just like just sweetied up with Pema Children. So some time passes in this event. It's like a week long event. But now every time we go into the room, like we just happen to be sort of where we started the week out. But Pema's also right there. Also always talking to my girlfriend now. Wow. So like I really mean hanging out with Pema, except I'm not. It's just my girl. So at the end of this whole thing, like a whole week of this thing goes by and the Sakyong says something kind of, probably with a lot more ceremony to this. But he basically says, hey, if anyone kind of feels like being a Buddhist, just get in this really super long line that you don't want to be in and I'll tap you on both shoulders with a pencil and you're a Buddhist. And Jack <laughs> looks at me and I was like, uh, okay. So, so it's we pretty get in this, easy to sign up, sounds like. Yeah, it's no, yeah, really not that hard. I mean, like first name and email address wasn't even asked for. And, you know, we go to the line. We wait in the line a horrendously long amount of time. But, of course, we're jazzed up on, like, how awesome this all is. And um, he literally, like, taps us on the shoulder with something that's probably not a pencil but looks just like one and tied a little blue thread to me, like a, like a balloon without the, str- without the balloon part. Okay. And I'm a Buddhist. So – you know, I go and I read it and all that. I try to decide to go to the Buddhist, uh, the Shambhala Center in Boston, which is one of the better ones, by the way. And it just kind of has this weird feeling of like, I don't know, hanging out with the Rolling Stones and then, you know, going to the School of Rock where you see the guys who try to teach you how to be like the Rolling Stones. And I was just like, eh. So I'm a Buddhist, but I, I more or less just practice by myself. I just do a lot of meditating, a lot of breathing, and a lot of reading of Pema Chodron books. And that's and she's kind awesome. of it. Yeah, so that's it. Well, that's a really easy sign up. I could do that. I, you know, I, I'm always uh, t- 
tentative to sign up to those sorts of things because I don't like meetings and I've never been like a group kind of clubby person. So, but I think I could sign up for that. It sounds like it's very low threshold involvement for belonging to that group. You can go there, right? Like you can go to the Boston thing and you can try to like, there's levels and things that you can try to aspire to and all that. And it just sort of felt like um, Dungeons and Dragons. Boy Scouty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Right. I'm going to get a badge in meditating. And you know, all I thought was all of that didn't sound very fun. So all I do is just kind of practice it. And it's more a philosophy than a religion. It's not like you have to, you could be Christian and you could be a Buddhist. You can whatever. Um, but what I like about it is essentially it's a lot to do with acceptance. And I think that that's the power play. It's just really staying strong to this notion that, you know, if you, not that you appreciate, you more or less just say, I accept, I accept, I accept. And that's the kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's kind of what I've got out of when I was looking at Pema Chodron stuff. It's like whatever shows up, that's what's supposed to show up. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And she says, you know, in in her books and in her little audio files that you can get and everything. She always says she's like a crappy um right. meditator yeah, after yeah. 30 plus years. So I thought, wow, the bar's not that high. I could do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if she's been doing it for this long and still thinks she's not good at it, then, you know, anybody can do it. Right. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, that's what I think, too. So I'm going to shift gears here because I first saw you last year at Podcast Movement. And this is sort of you made uh, you got up there on stage and it was an awesome presentation. But one of your points was you want to run your life at 40 percent. Right. And this was kind of counter to uh, a lot of what was going on. Uh, a lot of the drumbeat of the entrepreneurial style podcasts was, you know, if you have to burn really hard in the beginning, you should do that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Can you, do you think now somebody starting their own gig, doing their own thing, can, can do what, what you're doing at, at run their life at about a nice steady hum of 40% and still get that business off the ground? I do. Um, Good. <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, the, the one, I don't know, the one really tricky part along the way, I guess, is that there's a, I don't know. So a lot of times the reason people are working so damn hard is they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. So yes. they're just kind of running around crazy, like, ah, I need some dollars. I and I, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I, I can't really help you replace that right away because really what I've started to figure out is that business is a lot about belonging. And once you sort of figure out where you feel like you belong versus where you try to fit in, then stuff starts to get smarter, quicker, faster. So, you know, I serve a certain kind of person. I serve people that are trying their best to figure out how content might nurture community and then earn themselves the opportunity to build a marketplace. So that, you know, it doesn't fit a specific demographic. Like I don't serve, you it's know. It's not niche uh, so you're, you're breaking the yeah, rule there. Yeah. I, I don't like niche uh, as, a, as a, I, I don't div- like a dividing either. line because I don't want to serve, you know, veterans who happen to be writers who were in the first but not the second Gulf War. Like that's, <laughs> it's so confining as a, as yeah, a creative it's person. Just yeah, not going to work for me. But yeah. I think that when you think more in, along the lines of where you feel like you belong, like if I wanted to serve nerd culture, you know, people who think Princess Bride is one of the seven best movies on the planet. I would like I, I would sign up for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could do that and I, I would know what they'd want and I know what their language is. So you first start by just sort of identifying what that circle is where you think you can serve. Obviously, the other next piece of that, well, I say obviously, who knows if it's obvious, is that, you know, is it a kind of circle that would actually pay for things? Like, is there money to be spent in that space? And 
most times, everything we do sort of has a money component if we want it. If we're into bicycling, you know, we start with the $200 bike that we get at the store, you know, like a Walmart or something. Sure. But if we're going to do triathlon, then we're up to like a $3,000 bike and, and really kind of looking at the $10,000 bike saying, you know, I wonder how you convince the wife that this is the one I need. <laughs> um, that's everything, right? Like that's yes. every- There's always a range. Yeah. Pursuit that we're into that, you know, we always want some sort of a next level. And, you know, there's some really great ones that, that cost $0, but that's- I don't know how to help people make money on zero dollars yet, so I, I can only help with this other one. And so in that process, though, I guess, what I what I started to do, and the reason you can work at 40% is you stop chasing everything and you start really just serving those people that you have the pleasure and the opportunity to serve. And if you don't yet know who that is, it takes a little bit of internal uh, work to figure that out a little bit. It takes a little bit of work to see who exactly you're supposed to be. That makes sense. You know, and, and my follow-up to that is if I couldn't run it at 40%, then I'll just go get another job. <laughs> because part of the reason I don't want a job is because I want a different sort of lifestyle. So, um, and I also had another question for you. Um, now, when you're running at, at 40%, now occasionally you might have to surge, you know, for say like a travel or trip, a conference or an event. Sure. And, and that 40% life kind of like level, I think will serve that if you need to surge, right? You're kind of like building an energy reserve a little bit. You're not already right. worn out when you want to go do something. Exactly so. And, and I think that, I mean, there's always differences. I mean, you know, like you said, if I'm flying or something or if I'm traveling somewhere, I don't necessarily need, I, I don't get the chance to go to bed when I like to go to bed, which is like, you know, 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Right. Um, which people hear that and they're like, what? You're supposed to be an entrepreneur. You're supposed to be up till 4 a.m. and getting up at 6. And I always tell people, you know what I find craziest about this whole cult of sleep deprivation is how clever people think they are when they're sleep deprived. You know, they're right. Pe people have the worst ideas when they're sleep deprived, you know. Yeah, they're um, all brain foggy. They really are. And so, you know, I think, yeah, of course there's surges. I mean, when it's funny when I look at today's calendar versus yesterday's calendar, there were zero things on my calendar yesterday except for one thing that I put in and I just had some content work to do. Today, I have appointments all afternoon, every hour on the hour. So 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 7. So I miss five somehow. I guess I get to go eat. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but that's it. And that's just because then uh, the, the next day there's nothing, the next day there's nothing, and it's just me doing my work for the people that I serve. And what I love about that is just that, you know, the more times that I can do something, you know, like that, it, it's, I don't know, it, it, it makes all the rest of it feel better. Yeah. You know, and you, and it gives you time to do, you know, take care of yourself, you know, and you're, oh, absolutely. And you're not getting I burnt out. Yeah, I never have that. Like there's not a there's not a, even a tiny bit of burnout because, you know, I schedule my time. I put my own mask on first. I serve my circle, which is me and my high power power first. Then I go to the second circle, which is the people I love the most. Not all my loved ones, just the ones I love the most. And then third is sort of mentors and people that I mentor. And then fourth is customers. A lot of people put customer first because that's how they figure they're going to make their money. But those are the same kind of people that suddenly gain or lose too much weight, get way out of uh, control and get really sick and then end up losing a few weeks of time uh, to sickness all the time. And that's right. not going to work for me. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it defeats the point of doing your own thing if you're burned out. <laughs>
So yeah, I think we're totally in agreement on that. So let's talk a little bit about um, your take on this belonging and um, the connection and using content like this podcast, my content. Um, how do you connect all those dots? Where, where, where's, where does that line up to you? So just walk us through how I turn my content what into a community that feels like they belong together. So the way I would you, phrase I know it you're is kind of writing a book about this. So <laughs> I am. Yeah. I yeah, am. yeah. Right. So, well, in fact, I repositioned my whole corporation to uh, make sure that we live this a little bit so that people can see a better serving suggestion. What I found was that uh, a lot of times when people are, first off, there's so many people creating just garbage and they just don't know what to do. So they're just typing stuff and throwing it out there or recording stuff and throwing it out there and they just don't know why. They're just like, I don't know, someone said I need to have a podcast. Okay, here's my podcast. There's a lot of box checking going on in the platform world right now and it makes me a little weepy um, <laughs> because, you know, I don't know. There's no, you're just right. no one. You're right you're making it and you're spending all this time and no one's paying attention to it and it's just not worth it really. And so I just kind of want the whole process to work a little better. And the way I look at it is this. So once you kind of know that circle, let's say it's obstacle course racing, you know, uh, Spartan race, uh, Tough Mudder, those kinds of people. Right. If you know that that's who you want to serve, then if you're going to create content, then you're going to talk about things like, you know, how to get better uh, grip strength, so that you don't fall off the monkey bars in Spartan race or whatever. And that would be a good post. And then how do you uh, hydrate before a race like this? Because it's not the same as a marathon where there's little cups of water on the sideline, et cetera. Um, as you start making that useful content, it's got to serve both people. It's got to serve the creator of the content as content marketing, which means giving you at least the opportunity to sell at some point. And it's got to serve the person reading it, which is that community that you have the opportunity to serve. So, you create content to uh, serve and attract a certain element of community, but you don't necessarily have to create that community. It doesn't have to be your community. Oh, okay. You could be part of it. So for instance, Reebok did not create the obstacle course racing community, but Reebok partnered with Spartan and said, hey, we'd love to make shoes that Spartan racers would like to wear. And I, I wore some in my Spartan race and I was like, these are awesome. They were, you know, they were the perfect shoe for it because of all the listening that they had done to that community. So Reebok doesn't need to have a Spartan community. They just need to belong. And then from that, once you've nurtured them through creating content and helping that community in other ways, then you earn the opportunity to sell. And that's kind of the, the gold standard is, you know, if you're trying to do this for business, you want to have actually earned it. The reason it's so hard for people to sell is that usually they're just pushing against a space where they haven't really even earned the opportunity. And that's what I'm trying to fix. Now that makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to have to read this book when it comes out. <laughs> Because I, I want, I definitely want more of that. Um, so t let's talk a little bit about this uh, content is weaponized storytelling. Because at first it made me laugh because um, I was in the Air Force and it made me think all these different, mm, what's the payload, <laughs> right? Um, and um, right now I'm using some unweaponized content. So like a third of my tweets are just plain old quotes that I like, generally about awareness. Um, does that still fit? I mean, is that still considered content marketing in your mind? No. Uh, no. <laughs> nope. I'm just going to say no, and that'll be faster. And the reason I say no is because so many people are. I, I'm going through the weirdest thing right now, and it, it, I've never experienced this before. Someone somewhere loaded some quote of mine into some system 
And I don't know how it works. I don't know what it's all about. But essentially, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, primarily Indian people, no idea why, quote this quote every single day that I said, tell more people that you love them. You never know how much they might need it. Uh, at Chris Brogan, uh, hashtag quote via Vala Afshar. Now, Vala Afshar is somebody I know from the Boston area. Um, and he says, I didn't do anything particularly with that. So someone must have just kind of picked it up from him and slotted it into some machine. Now, right. I'm seeing th- hundreds of these a day. It screws up my whole Twitter account, basically. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to look for people asking me, hey, Chris Brogan, you know, where was that yeah, link yeah. to that thing? And all I'm seeing is crappy quotes of my own <laughs> over and over and over again. And, and from people who have like, you know, 12 followers and stuff like that who are mostly quoting quotes. Like as I, as I, this lady right here, the next tweet that she said after mine, uh, by the way, every hour on the hour. So 101, 201, 301. The biggest mistake you can make is to listening to people who have given up on their dreams telling you to give up on yours. Um, I'd rather live with a good question than a bad answer. Blah, blah, blah. Is that person interesting? No. Is that person, does, does, do they have many followers? No. Does anyone really care? No. It's robots talking to robots. So I think if you stop doing your quotes tomorrow, Nobody and, if you, <laughs> and you only did your selling, I don't think anyone would care. I, don't, I think that you know, one cranky person would complain, but you would find that, I, look, I'll tell you a, a thing I did one time, and it took people a month to figure it out. I did 45 tweets a day, all promoting content back when I was running my owner magazine project, 45 tweets a day, every day. And I did the same tweets every single day, every single day. I did 45 tweets promoting different articles. And, uh, once every like 14 or 16 days, someone would say to me, are you tweeting kind of the same thing every day? And I'd say, yep. And they'd say, oh, okay. That was it. No complaints. No unsubscribes. Actually a bigger subscribe rate and no one cared because it's robots talking to robots out there. Yeah. So, you know, that that was a whole lot of insight. Now, I, I will say this, and this is actually a question. So if I'm just, when I do a quote, I do do the hash quote, but mm-hmm. I don't at anybody um, because I think that would be annoying. So, hmm. I thought, okay, yeah, maybe I will take out my quotes. So a third of my, uh, my uh, tweets are my stuff. So that's weaponized towards my content, right? And then uh, my former guests, their content, I'm going to tweet out something that's fresh from them. And then the, the, the last third was rounded out by just a quote that I happen to like. So, hmm, all right. There you go. Chris Berger. Now, sharing the other people's stuff is kind of cool because I think that that's another part of this whole map. I mean, when I write about Belong, one of the things I'm going to show is that Reebok, by partnering with Spartan, said, boy, you've really, you know, you've got a really photogenic, love to take Instagram kind of crowd here. People love taking photos of themselves all covered in mud or jumping over fire or things like that. So it's a built in uh, group of people that really want to to sort of spread and share content, which also happens to have Reebok branding cleverly hidden all through it. So there's there's that. I mean, the more you help empower people to share and connect and serve and, and let each other know who each other are, that's really powerful stuff. Quoting a bunch of crap just because you think you're supposed to be making noise is only making noise. So the more you share other people's stuff, you can yeah. do, but okay. make well, it people that you actually care the, about. Uh, uh, do it double up on my. Well, they're all my former guests, so 
You That's know, fine. Exactly. You know, I, I love them already because they said yes to my show. So, yeah, why wouldn't I share their stuff? So this has been uh, 20 Minutes with Chris Brogan. And uh, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.